Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Body Greens Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Greens Beauty Director, Alexandra Ingler. And on today's episode, we are talking about probably my all-time favorite topic, the skin microbiome. If you have listened to any of my past episodes, you know I bring it up quite a bit. And in today's episode, we are diving into some of the more recent advancements in research and talking about what excites us about the future of the skin microbiome. And to do so, I have on Dr. Larry Weiss. He is one of the foremost experts in this space and one of my favorite people to talk to about the subject. I cannot wait to dive into this with him. So without further ado, Larry, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation with you. Well, I am too. I and I know a little bit about your backstory. We, you know, chatted a few times, and we're even able to meet in person. Um, so, you know, I I kind of have a grasp about it, but I want uh, the audience to get to know you a little bit better. So, you know, what what was your journey into medicine, and then more specifically, what was your journey into biotech and skincare? From the time I was very young, I knew I was a scientist. Wasn't even sure exactly what that meant, but the whole field fascinated me. And uh, I started out as an undergraduate at Cornell in botany, um, but soon got really interested in chemistry and became a natural products chemist there. Um, uh, Moved out to Stanford for medical school uh, in the 70s, again, really focusing on the science. but clinical medicine was interesting at the time and internal medicine, intensive care medicine, anesthesia. But anyone who was paying attention back then had to have noticed there was a dramatic uptick in inflammatory disease. At one point, we'd call it autoimmune disease, but it was growing and it has actually tripled in the past 30 years. Um, six out of 10 of us are on a medication for one inflammatory disease four out of 10 have two. And now there's a new diagnosis called multiple chronic conditions, which is three and 25% of us fall into that diagnostic criteria. Left the practice of medicine in the 90s to try to understand um, health. But as a scientist, and science is a disciplined practice of wonder. It's fueled by our curiosity, but it needs to be tempered by a sense of humility a sense that there really isn't any certainty. We're constantly advancing into the unknown, but we shouldn't get too attached to our preconceived notions because historically they always get surrendered to ideas that we can't yet imagine. Kind of a watchword for me is everything is more complicated than we think it is, and most things are more complicated than we can imagine, but that's what makes it really interesting. Uh, Then, uh, oh, about... uh, 2013, um, I was the founding chief medical officer of AOBiome, where we introduced the first, really the first skin uh, microbiome product, the first probiotic. And it was based on the notion that we lost a bacteria that was part of our evolutionary legacy. And that bacteria made a contribution to our health. So with the loss of the bacteria, we lost its metabolic contribution. Um, and that product was launched as Mother Dirt back in 2014 and uh, in a large, to a large extent has triggered this entire category here. 
Yeah, I remember when that product came out. I mean, it just blew my mind. Weirdly, it sent me down this path where I'm chatting with you once again. Um, <laughs> but uh, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no. You know, it's it. Um, science is like that at times. You know, it's an idea that starts off as is this possible, a hypothesis, and then the data piles up, and then it transforms people's perception of reality. We live in a microbial world, it's just invisible to us. And because it was invisible, we had no notion it was there except when things didn't work. Um, but it became very clear that we lost way more than one microbe. And this company was started because of a very um, unusual relationship we have with a village of hunter-gatherers deep in the Amazon. What if I were to tell you that for most of the time that we were on this planet, all of these diseases that we suffer from today, all these inflammatory diseases, heart disease, um, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, even cancer, were rare or didn't exist at all? So what we've done with this company, it's not just one microbe that we've lost. Um, in this, uh, we've run three academic research expeditions deep into the Amazon. And we have fully characterized the microbiome for what it looked like for most of the time that we were on this planet when we still lived immersed in the natural environment. Uh, and we've lost 80% of the species that were there. What's more important is not the number of species, but what they were doing for us. It was their metabolic contribution. Um, and so this company is built around the idea that that health that we lost, imagine we could go back and recover some of that and bring it to this world today. And that we believe that this missing metabolic contribution of the microbiome is an essential part of that. So this is what makes it very different is that everything we've been taught to do in healthcare and medicine is to fix things once they're broken. We now have a unique option. We can restore the resilience that underlined our health. To do that, we have to agree on what we mean by health. So, I mean, what do you feel that health should be defined as then? Well, if you look today, <laughs> most people's notion of health is that they're not sick yet, at least they know about. Um, but from an evolutionary biology standpoint, health is the resilience in response to stress, the ability to bend without breaking. And for most of the time, not just humans, but animals have been on this planet, that is the evolutionary notion of health. Um, even the idea of wellness. Wellness is the idea that I can forestall this inevitable onslaught of disease, which is coming to get me. Um, but evolution doesn't create a species with the burden of disease of Western Homo sapiens. We did that. And so this company is about health. And for health, I mean resilience, the ability to respond to stress without triggering inflammation. We have a scientific team here. We have three uh, PhDs in microbiology. We have one of the most amazing collections of um, microbes. It's literally as though we went back in time. And uh, based on this, we have built a model. It's gonna continue to evolve of what a healthy human looked like before we went down this path and things changed. Yeah. So this is kind of, you know, what you just described is the start of, you know, company 
startup Symbiome. Um, with specifically in regards to skin care and why skin care was so important, because I, and I actually haven't even asked this of you in our past conversations, but, you know, we know that there are a lot of biomes in and on our body. We have the gut microbiome, we have oral microbiome, we have, you know, um, various biomes that we can focus on. So why was skin and skin care um, of such high interest to you? What What is the role of skincare in our overall health that piqued your interest? Well, it's a little complicated, but it's also very simple. Um, your skin is the window into your health you can see. It's the biomarker for your health you look at in the mirror every day. For example, if you could look in the mirror and see your coronary arteries, people might change the way they eat. But health is beautiful. And if I can improve your appearance, now I have your attention and I can start the conversation about what is this relationship we have with the microbial world and how can we align our behaviors with this. And starting this conversation, um, we can do it with diet. Lots of people are working in the oral microbiome. Uh, I think it's a, another really fascinating area. And we actually have programs in the oral microbiome we're developing as well. But it's a little bit harder to get people to change what they put in their mouths than what they put on their skin. And one of the things we learned, uh, I learned with, with Mother Dirt, was if I make you look better, I now have your attention. And now we can start that conversation. Um, the other reason is skin is your largest organ. Um, when I was uh, in medical school, they told us it was 1.7 meters squared. And that's what it would be if it was perfectly flat, but it's not. And if you take all of the follicular area, all the area, it's about 25 meters squared. It's about as big as the area of your gut or of your lungs. And it's the one which is exposed to the air and to ultraviolet. And this is the place where we can relatively easily get people to both pay attention and start the conversation and change their behavior. And then as I rebuild this relationship of, to the microbial world, uh, right now, most people's notion of the microbial world is um, it's trying to get you sick or kill you. Um, and this is what's called the germ theory of disease, where there's a bad actor and it makes you sick. And we get an antibiotic and we kill that bad actor and things are good. But it's way more complex than that. I want to start a conversation about a germ theory of health where it's not the presence of something bad, but it's the absence or an imbalance that sets in motion a series of events of which the germ theory of disease is just the last one. In the intact resilient system, it's much more resilient in response to those types of stresses rather than triggering disease. So this is about restoring health and health is beautiful. And so why do we start with skin and beauty? Um, because this is the place that I felt I could have the most impact. Yeah. You know, and this is an opinion that both you and I share, because we've talked about this before, that when I write articles that are about the microbiome and I use, uh, you know, very science forward language, those don't perform as well as when I write articles that lead with this idea of, hey, this can do X, Y, Z for your skin. So, I, you know, I really do think there is something to this idea where you have to meet people where they are and you just have to say, listen, I know that 
the way your skin looks is important to you, listen, I can help you get to a better place and in the process also help your overall health. I mean, that just kind of seems like the best of both worlds. You know, ever since you told me that at the meeting, that was um, a transformational conversation. Um, look, I'm a recovering academic. I'm a scientist, and I have a tendency to want people to understand these words. But what you told me there has, has really helped me tell this story in a way that makes it, or I hope, and I'm continuing to work on this, uh, more accessible. Because, look, everyone's concerned about their health. And remember I told you that inflammatory disease has tripled in the past 30 years. Um, now, you know, one in four children have eczema. Follow that child for five years and 90% have asthma carrying an inhaler and have one or more food allergies. Um, that's not the childhood I remember. And so people are now looking to make better decisions because they're concerned about their health because it's chained within a single generation. And so why skin? I can get your attention. I can make a difference, but we're not going to stop at skin. You know, inflammation is not just on your skin, but it's in your gut. And if we start this conversation, um, what I can hope, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimist about all of this. I think we can make a difference. I think we can really improve people's health just by starting those conversations. Yeah. The next thing I wanted to get into is something that, you know, we, that you have teased uh, throughout your answers is this idea that we have lost quite a bit of diversity. And you have mentioned a few of the consequences, uh, that being, you know, primarily these inflammatory diseases. But I want to make sure that we paint the picture for folks of what exactly this, this loss looks like. And then also, you know, what, how it affects them day to day. Um, and I know this is obviously something that you have studied quite extensively. Uh, so, you know, what, paint the picture for us. What are we missing? Yeah, no, that is, that is a great question. We've thought about this for literally years. Um, so all of the work that has been done around the modern microbiome, skin microbiome, is what we're referring to as the engrafted microbiome. These are the microbes, not just bacteria, but fungi and viruses that are literally engrafted into your skin from the time you're born until early in childhood, that group of microbes becomes part of you. And whether you, you know, apply alcohol or something else, it's going to grow back. Um, and that part of the microbiome has two very big functions one of which is what we call colonization resistance, but it's basically just keep the ecosystem fully occupied so no one else can move in. So it protects you from invasion from newcomers. Um, and the second one is it communicates directly with your immune system. So if there is damage or someone gets a foothold, it can call out the immune response to bring it back to them. Um, that is the microbiome we all have. Um, and What's interesting is there's a lot of similarities between that, our engrafted microbiome, and the engrafted microbiome of um, these hunter-gatherers living in the jungle, which is crazy because they live in the most diverse microbial ecosystem left on the planet. We live in a built environment, and yet it's biologically programmed 
which is what you'd expect considering what those big jobs are. The piece we lost is what we call a biofilm. Okay, think of it as a blanket of microbes that coats us, and it's an environmental biofilm. These are the microbes in the environment, and the first of its big jobs is it harmonizes us with the environment in which we lived. So if we live in the jungle, these are the microbes that solved all of the problems about living in that environment. Um, by the way, if you leave that environment, you don't need soap, you don't need a shower, any of that stuff. By the time you're here, it will reset to ours. It's in a very um, dynamic relationship. with The second big job of this biofilm that we don't have is we live in an oxygen environment and we're bathed with ultraviolet light. Bacteria solved this problem 2.7 billion years ago. And they didn't solve it the way we do. We block it. We put sunblock on so that we don't get sunburn or skin cancer. But that's energy. And the way biology does that, it absorbs that energy and it drives the third big process, which is secondary metabolism. It makes all of this metabolic support for us and for our skin and for our skin microbiome. These include things like a lot of the ingredients that you see in skincare products, fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, K, things like that, phytosterols. The reason we didn't have to make a lot of these things is we had a blanket of microbes that enveloped us from the time we were born that always made them for us. And it wasn't until we started to live in a built environment that that fell off. So now, basically what we have is the engrafted microbiome. We lost that blanket. Okay, well, here's what we learned. Um, I can't put the blanket back. We live in this environment. If we were to put that blanket back, if it was even possible, they would be gone within a day or so. They won't survive in the world we live in. So what we do is we've looked at what they did for us, all the metabolic contributions, and we built ferments, things people are familiar with, and those ferments, using the microbes that make these types of things, restore the metabolic contribution to the health. All of it? No, not all of it. We're just getting started, but enough of it. So essentially, we're restoring the lost function. Now, it looks just like skincare, and it is skincare, but it's skincare based on the idea of restoring what it is that we lost. So when I had originally, or in one of our previous conversations, um, I, you know, I did ask you, uh, is there no hope, you know, <laughs> are we so screwed because we have pulled ourselves out of this environment and we've lost, uh, you know, this blanket of protection and, you know, you, you elaborated on basically what you had said previously and, uh, in this, in this discussion. And I, I think it's fascinating. And I think it also sparks a question, which is, you know, we, we're starting to understand what we've lost and what we can successfully give our skin again. But, you know, what would you estimate? And maybe this is a question that you can't even really answer at this time, but like, where are we on that journey of understanding how, how much we've lost and how much we can actually like do with skincare. Uh, does that make sense? Like how, 
you said we have more to learn, right? So like, where are we on that journey? Like, are we on on a roadmap? Are we at the beginning? Are we in the middle? Are we close to the end? <laughs> um, it's a really insightful question. The, the short answer is we're really at the very beginning. I was asked recently what the biggest myth in the microbiome is. And my response was the biggest myth is that we know anything about the microbiome. We only recently acknowledged we had a microbiome. And so there's a lot yet to be discovered. You know, um, there's a number of different approaches. The one that we have taken is the microbiome when, you know, these hunter-gatherers have essentially 200, humans, Homo sapiens have been on this planet about 200,000 years. So they're still carrying all of that biologic optimization that we call evolution. And they don't have any of the diseases that we do. So what we've done is we've said, this is way more complicated that we understand, that we can understand. How can we use that as a model? So as I said in the beginning, with the complexity of this system, and I'll, I'll come to that in a second, we can take the approach we have typically taken for developing, as I said, we, we, saw, we fix broken stuff. You go to the doctor, you've got a problem, you get a diagnosis, you get a medication or some course of therapy to fix broken stuff. And we're good at that. But this option to restore health, in order to restore something, you need to know what it looked like. You cannot restore something if you don't understand what it looked like. And there might be 30 or 40,000 humans left on the planet that still have this evolutionary legacy. And we're incredibly fortunate to have this unique relationship that allows us to create a model of what it looked like before. Because in the absence of the understanding of the complexity of this unbelievably complicated mi mi microbial system, the best thing we can do is try to model what we lost. Um, the life sciences today is where physics was 100 years ago. And you can imagine these Newtonians with their nice little buttoned up equations, seeing Einstein in this oncoming chaos and dismissing it as either wrong or irrelevant. There's actually a rare book out there called 100 Authors Against Einstein, to which his response was, well, if I was wrong, why do you need more than one? Um, and it wasn't that the Newtonians were wrong. It was just a small piece of a much larger, much more dimensional system that they couldn't yet imagine. We are moving from a Newtonian approach to health and biology and medicine to a systems biology approach. And in the absence of the understanding of all of these connections, you know, the idea that I see a couple of points in a row, I'm gonna draw a line through it, um, assumes that you can see all the points, but it's still very, very early. So we built a model. We've looked at the things that we can understand. What are the lost metabolic functions that are skin? You'll hear people say the microbiome is 10 times as many cells as human cells, or now the new number is kind of one-to-one. -one. That's not the correct question. We have about 22, 20,000 human genes. Your microbiome is at least two to 300 times as, much, as many genes. We've been around for... I don't know, a couple hundred thousand years. 
microbes have been around for billions of years. They are the most successful life forms on this planet. It is a microbial world. We've decided we have a microbiome, call it 10, 15 years ago. Well, there's a lot we don't know yet. As I said, science needs to be tempered by a sense of humility. So our approach to this is let's, while we still have it available, let's figure what it looked like when it was all intact, when it was biologically intact, and let's build this skincare to restore as much of the missing function as we can, and then constantly study it to make sure we're getting the end that we are looking for, that it's actually working. It's a great question. Throughout this conversation, you have mentioned this um, this unique relationship that you have um, with a tribe in the Amazon that um, helps you, uh, you know, create this framework of what the microbiome looks like. And um, I just want to take a moment and chat about that element of it a little bit more because I, as somebody who knows about the story and uh, how it influences your work. I'm fascinated by it. And I would just love to, you know, share that story here and now, just because I do think that it, it illuminates so much of the conversation that we're having and also just illuminates so much of where the future of the microbiome research potentially goes. Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. I mean, you know, literally we're building an evolutionary reference point. And the way this started is, as you say, I've been in this field for a while. Um, and uh, there's a young man, his name is David Good, um, and his father was an American anthropologist, uh, and he went down um, to study the protein flow. The, they're called the Yanomami. They live, they're, they're among the most isolated humans on the planet, which is why they're still intact. And what started as a nine-month um, graduate program turned into a 12-year adventure, and during his tenure down there, the head man of the village, uh, betrothed his sister to him. And David is the product of that marriage. Um, David spent most of his life living here in the U.S. Um, he didn't see his mother for 20 years. He got um, a degree in biology, got very interested in the, um, the microbiome, um, uh, mounted an expedition and found his mother, which is in and of itself astonishing because they're semi-nomadic. And then he reached out to me to say, um, was I interested in studying his family's microbiome with him and collaborating? And it's an academic collaboration. He's, his, his major concern is the survival of his family. And it is his family. You know, every village, they have anywhere from 15 to 20 to as many as 150. Uh, they are all related by blood or marriage. There are multiple lineages within the village. They're very interesting. There was just an article about them in the Sunday Times, as a matter of fact. But they're very interesting people. And um, he's concerned about their survival. So we entered into this academic collaboration. We have collaborators with the University of Guelph and other uh, um, academic institutions uh, because um, everyone's concerned about the survival. And when they are gone, we will have no reference point. It will leave no trace. We won't know what a healthy human, from an evolutionary standpoint, looked like. So we have sponsored three academic research uh, expeditions. Um, we, 
people like you and me don't go down there. Uh, this is David's family. He goes down with with the team there, and um, this is you know this is breakthrough scientific research, and our team is preparing a manuscript for publication of this. This is not just you know something that is important to me and to us as a company. It's important to all of us. It is our human legacy, and it's important that it be available because look. Um, in this world, there's lots of reasons to be pessimistic. Um, but I am a pathologic optimist because I think that we, there is a path out of here. And if we embrace the uncertainty and the wonder that is these types of scientific explorations, we can find that path. And, um, you know, the, the, the access to this information is tenuous. Climate change, gold mining, things like this, they're all undermining this. Many people think that, you know, their survival uh, is unlikely. But as I said, I'm an optimist. I think as we start these conversations um, about what we're doing in terms of skin and more importantly, health, you know, at one point you asked me a question what my, you know, beauty and well-being philosophy is. And it's as simple as this. Health is beautiful. And if we can imbue that with a sense that health isn't just my health or the health of my family or my community, it's the health of the entire planet. And start to make that conversation more broadly accessible to people. Because here's the biggest lesson of the microbiome. Everything is connected. And all those connections are ancient and they're microbial and they are the wellspring for the resilience that's the foundation of our health. That is the big idea behind what we're doing here with this company, with the ideas. I'm not just trying to create an infection of healthy products. I want an infection of healthy ideas. When we see those connections and we start looking for them in the food that we eat, our connections to each other as a community. You know, one of the results of the pandemic is we've become largely disconnected. And with that, we're seeing, you know, an explosion of people with all sorts of um, uh, psychological problems because connection is an essential component of health. So you can see, we start with skincare, you buy it for all the reasons that people would buy it. It looks interesting. I improve the way your skin looks. Now you ask questions. Why is this different? And all those questions lead to how can we make things better? How can I inspire you and everyone who's listening to this to find those connections through the products they're buying, through their behavior, through the way we talk to each other, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, just to reiterate the points that are being made here is I think one of the more eye-opening moments that I've had throughout um, this journey that I've been on in researching and reporting on the microbiome is, uh, you know, to your point, just how much we can we can learn about ourselves and we can learn about our relationships with each other and we can learn about the world around us when we study the microbiome. Um, I think that, you know, there are a lot of life lessons to be learned from our, 
you know, smallest microbial neighbors that (laughs) we share this world with. And I think that's something that has really opened my eyes and made this area of uh, study and research just so fascinating to me. And I think it all goes back to this idea, which is something that we've talked about quite a bit is, you know, we evolve, we as humans, who we are today evolved within the microbial world. You know, we are who we are because of these organisms. Um, And so to study them, we do study ourselves. And I think it's just, I think it's, I think it's beautiful for a lack of a better word. It just is beautiful. It's stunningly beautiful. And look, there's patterns in biology. So the, the microbes are the most successful life forms on this planet. They'll, everywhere that they can survive, they're there. They're in hot springs, deep under the ocean. You can dig down into the soil thousands of feet and it's colonized by microbes. The patterns of sustainable, successful life are built into that. They've been around for billions of years. Animals showed up, call it 700 million years ago or so. Um, humans, um, you know, call it 200,000 primates, maybe about 7 million or so like that. So we're newcomers. We're not the pinnacle of evolution. We're the spoiled and arrogant newcomers. We are the beneficiaries of a 4 billion year old biologic trust fund uh, from which we emerged, which nurtures us and sustains us. And because of a misconception, because of abstract ideas about our relationship to this, we seem determined to squander it. Ideas change people's behavior. These are big, complex ideas, and I hope I'm making them accessible to people. My um, my reason why I'm so excited about having this conversation is the, uh, the, op- the opportunity to inspire people. But products change behavior much more rapidly than ideas. You know, if you want the best example of that, this thing here, which is turned off right now, but wiring my cell phone for our listeners, but um, but is rewiring our brain while you and I are talking. We at this company are determined to build products that start conversations, that bring about healthy ideas about these relationships. But the patterns, these beautiful patterns you just commented on about connectivity, And the word symbiome, it's a technical term. It literally means co-located, co-evolving life forms. And you can define it in a very small area, you know, a small piece of your skin, or you could define it as the entire planet. But the connections there are what makes it healthy and sustainable and resilient. Um, I really hope to recalibrate people's idea of what health means. Uh, from a disease-based model where, um, you know, we're, we're constantly concerned about which disease to restoring a resilience. You know, uh, one of the biggest things you can do in terms of your behavior to improve your health is eat more fermented food. Fermentation, which is how we create these ingredients or food, fermentation is the living connection between microbe and, and humans, and all other animals, and all other plants as well. Um, that's the connection. And the complexity 
of even a relatively simple ferment at a biologic level boggles the imagination. Once you start looking into all of the ingredients that are in a simple ferment, you know, kimchi, uh, kefir, you're going to get to a question later about what I do, and I'll, I'll elaborate on this a little bit further. Is this a teaser for it? <laughs> a teaser, but again, the connectivity between us and the microbial world, um, when done thoughtfully, can restore lost resilience. And the way that means that manifests itself is, what if we don't have to get sick and then fix it? What if health goes back to its evolutionary biology definition where we can absorb the stresses of the world in which we live without triggering inflammation or disease or cancer? That's the pathologic optimism that I have. We can get there and we need to get there. Yeah. I mean, I, I count myself an optimist as well. And uh, speaking about the future and what the future holds. Um, I do want to ask you, you know, let's, let's imagine a world in which people do uh, take these discoveries as seriously as they should. And we invest in time and research and energy into, you know, learning about the skin microbiome in that world what does skincare look like in 50 years, you know, in a few decades? Like what, what has changed about the skincare industry? Well, I'm biased on this, so I'm going to express my bias since you asked me. Uh, today, we, today, our approach to skincare is very, to use my previous metaphor, Newtonian. We have an ingredient. We measure the effect of that ingredient in a smaller system, or even in a population of 20 or 30 or 40 people. And then that ingredient gets a lot of attention, but it's a single ingredient. It's very much the same way that we um, engage in therapeutics. You have a disease, here's a drug that fixes your problem. Um, that is the fixing broken things metaphor for skincare. Um, in these hunter-gatherer tribes, Acne, eczema, rosacea, psoriasis don't exist, period. Wouldn't you rather live in that world? So instead of the approach to skincare where we have this ingredient does this, this ingredient does that, we have a much more systems approach to what the native state was. Before we made the decision to live in the built environment, to use things like soap and surfactants and all of these things, which we knew very little about, but I think it's um, Voltaire who said the practice of medicine is the application of chemicals we know little about to an organism about which we know even less. We understand what it looked like when it was healthy and all skincare will be designed to restore that to its healthy state. And, um, you know, my, my suspicion, and again, there is no certainty. One of the jobs of the expert is to know the limits of their knowledge. But I think while we have this model available to us, we should use that to, do the, to test those hypotheses. What happens if I build this ferment that restores these, this group of metabolic pathways, there's two huge groups of metabolic pathways that are in that 
blanket, that biofilm that we don't have, that we are all missing. One of which is the ability to absorb oxidative stress. Oxidation is like rusting. Um, we live in an oxygen environment. Um, they have a huge number of genetic uh, genes and metabolic pathways in this biofilm to prevent that from causing any damage. The second thing is they are, have a, you know, a huge number of genes to make all sorts of molecules. Um, there are things in, um, uh, in biology called essential amino acids and essential fatty acids. And what that means is we need them, but we don't make them ourselves. And that was always very puzzling. Like if they're so badly needed, why aren't we making them? And the reason was we never had to. We emerged into a world where microbes made those for everybody. So we never had to have those metabolic pathways. So skincare of the future will use the, this is what the intact, the biologically intact system looked like. Here's the things about it that we know and recognize there's a lot more that we don't know. And so rather than spot treat it, you know, we have a tendency in the modern world, we decimate an ecosystem, think about agriculture, we decimate an ecosystem and then we spot treat it with this fertilizer and that pesticide and this thing to make it work again. What if we had a way to put it back to the place where it worked sustainably and we didn't have to add these individual things because it's able to essentially become self-sustainable. I imagine a world in which we can live in the built environment with all the richness and the resilience that was our evolutionary legacy. And that's what the skincare of the future will look like because it's not just skincare, it is systemic healthcare. Um, and this will inform our food, our behavior, and again, I think it goes way past this. It goes into how we interact with each other in a healthier way. Health, I'm sorry, is not a property of one individual. Health is a property of biologic community. We cannot be healthy in a sick community. And so it's all of our responsibilities to try to, you know, make, make better decisions. And as a company, as a scientist, um, we're just in the first step. We're just at the threshold of this. But the future is bright. And what we have learned every day, um, my team come to work like we're standing on the edge of an undiscovered world with all sorts of richness and discoveries. And it's exciting to do this. And it holds out the promise that um, we will all be able to participate and get healthier together. You know, you mentioned that we uh, we are only healthy if our community is healthy, which obviously I very strongly agree with. And I, I will add to that, and, and this is a point that I know you agree with me on, is that we can only be healthy in a healthy environment as well um, and living on a healthy planet. And so, you know, I, I know that obviously biodiversity plays a huge role in this conversation and taking care of our planet plays a huge role in this conversation. Um, and so, you know, something that I, I like to ask most of my guests about is, you know, why is it important for the beauty industry, beauty industry to take a more prominent role 
in preserving our planet's biodiversity and, you know, ensuring that we have a healthy planet uh, for generations to come. Um, you know, I, this is obviously such an important part of this broader conversation. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a twist on that for you also, which is um, the way that we've traditionally looked at it is we need to protect the biodiversity because there's going to be stuff in there that will be useful for us. Um, we, you know, that will be lost if that biodiversity is lost. I think a better way of considering this is it is just the presence of that biodiversity and all of the connectivity that we are not yet aware of that tends to make the whole community stable. It's not just for something that we might be able to draw out of that and maybe turn into a business or turn into a product or, or something like that. It's because it is the result of literally billions of years of optimization. We don't, we're never, we're not even close to understanding the relationships of these things. So when we lose diversity, we're actually undermining the landscape upon which we live. And that has health consequences. So this is a place where if we have a sense of humility, we live in a world that is so awesomely, beautifully complex that we don't yet understand. This is why I think the microbiome is a transformative scientific revolution. Um, it's because it's been around us. It connects us, and we haven't seen it, and we haven't understood those connections. Once we see it, it changes things. I I'm, I'm going to give you a little parable that I shamelessly took from uh, David Foster Wallace. Um, these two young fish are swimming along and an older fish swims in the other direction and says, um, hey, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim along for a little ways and one looks at the other and says, what's water? Um, this is the world we live in. We live in a microbial world. It's been invisible to us. People ask me, what's the microbiome? It's it's you. It's as much a part of you as your your arms or your heart or your lungs, but you can't see it or feel it. So we didn't acknowledge it existed. And it is in fact, in terms of complexity, it's the most ancient part of us. It is the continuity. It is the connective tissue for us biologically. And if I can change the way you think of yourselves, um, Descartes, come back to these people again, um, Descartes told us because we think we're different and the rules don't apply to us. We were a thing, a noun, a human being. We were separate from all other things and we had dominion over these things. Um, but that's an abstraction with absolutely no substance. Um, we're not a noun, we're not a thing. We're not a human being, we're a verb. We're being human. We are connected to everything that's around us. If I can get you to start thinking about the microbiome as that water in which we are all swimming together, then it makes perfect sense why it is that our health is dependent not just on the water, but on everything in the water and all that connectivity. Um, we've taken ourselves out of context. And uh, believe it or not, um, my biggest ambition with this company is to put us back in context because I think that's important for health. So why skincare? You know, um, the uh, 
the question that keeps coming up here is, as you said yourself, meet people where they are. So these are beautiful products. They are biologically intact ferments. Their message, both in the way that we make them, source them, all the science behind this, gives you lots of different access points into this world. But here's what I know is once you once that conversation starts, it'll go many different directions, but you know where it will never go? It will never go back to the place where it was before someone raised this idea. And over time, as people, we keep expanding the offerings, expanding ways for people to realize the importance of the biology, which is, as I said, the resilience of our, and the, and the wellspring of our health, um, it'll have impact way beyond the fact that, yeah, it does. It makes your skin look great. Um, these are unique formulations. We have a cream with three ingredients. I have cosmetic formulators reach out to me and say, that's impossible. My response is, yeah, it's impossible for us, but bacteria have been doing this kind of stuff forever. Why don't we let them do it? Why don't we learn from them? It's also a very good cream, I might add. <laughs> so. Nothing so too. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Larry, I, God, I just, I, I loved every point of this conversation and I can't let you leave without ending on how you take care of yourself. Uh, this is obviously skincare, but it's also everything else. We believe everything is skincare. So, you know, it's how you take care of your mental health. It's how much you sleep, it's nutrition. So, you know, how, how do you prioritize your own well-being? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is I, I should do better. Okay, so it's a work in progress. Uh, skincare. Um, I have a relatively simple regimen. Our uh, renewal cleanser. Um, I um, I find that is just just a, it does an amazing job on my skin. So uh, before I'll get in the shower, I will smear the renewal cleanser on my skin, let it sit there for a couple of minutes and then rinse it off. Um, the uh, answer serum, uh, generally morning and night. Uh, and then the one cream, um, uh, and again, it depends on a lot of, you know, if I'm traveling or what I'm doing, um, I'll apply that as well. Um, in terms of nutrition, um, I like to cook. Uh, so um, I, um, this comes from the chemist in me. Cooking is like chemistry you get to eat. Uh, and I'm very blessed to live here in San Francisco where we have amazing, fresh, healthy ingredients. You know, the, the produce, um, uh, the, you know, everything around here. Um, so, but the, the most important thing I would tell anybody to add to their diet is fermented food. It doesn't really matter which one or ones you add as long as, you know, they don't have a lot of sugar in them. The second thing is every place you can take sugar out of your diet. Sugar is fuel for inflammation. Um, yes, it tastes good. And I'm not advocating for artificial sweeteners because those trade one set of problems for another one. Uh, but if you eat fermented food, which I do, I drink about, uh, oh, between eight and 12 ounces of uh, um, uh, kefir, which I also pronounce kefir, but I keep getting corrected uh, um, every day. And in terms of uh, 
mental health. I'm going to come back to this thing. Just stay connected with your family. Um, and, and if I may get a dog. <laughs> what about a cat? Um, they're not quite, you know, what a dog does for your microbiome is unique. Uh, dogs have a microbe in their mouth that triggers the release of oxytocin. Truth. Um, but for mental health, there is nothing like a dog, no matter how, how difficult your day was. Um, but, you know, listen, connect, uh, be part of your family and your community. Try to balance, you know, I, I, it's, it's difficult with what we're doing, but balancing health and connectivity and time spent with your family. And um, if you can achieve those things, which is gentle skincare, not too much. Same thing that Michael Pollan said about food. Well, you know, mostly plants, not too much. Um, and, uh, and, you know, stay, stay integrated into, in a, into your community. Um, then I think that is a foundation for health in the modern world. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I always enjoy talking with you. I always enjoy talking with you. I so looked forward to this episode. It was a long time coming. Um, so I'm so glad we were finally able to have it. I'm always so inspired uh, with all of our chats. And I cannot wait to see, you know, what comes next and uh, what's on the horizon because uh like we both noted, we're both optimists and I have I have high hopes for, for the future of skin and health. So thank you so much for joining. It was my pleasure, really. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.